It uh, fits so well with uh, what uh, you're going to be doing with your kids this week. Exodus chapter 19, what an awesome passage of scripture that is. Uh, Can you imagine being at the foot of Mount Sinai when God shows up and the place is smoking and shaking and the boundary's been set and strict instructions have been given and then this thunderous voice of God calls out the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. What an awesome moment that was. Um, So enjoy that this week as you take a look at that and uh, certainly one of the things that uh, God intended to communicate there is, Behold our God. I want to talk about impact this morning, and, and before I actually jump in and begin, I want to thank you as a congregation, First Baptist Church here at Mount Pleasant, uh, for your impact in my life. Um, and that goes back a whole long ways probably before any of you were a part of this church, to the uh, late 1940s, I think, would be the appropriate time. My mom, who's now uh, been enjoying the presence of the Lord for the last uh, five years, was saved as a result of the ministry of this church. Uh, She met my father because of uh, this church. They got married in this church. June 14th, not this particular building, mind you, 1953, at the end of the service. It's kind of like one of those deals where it's like, sit down, we got one more thing to do, and then here's this wedding that happened. Now, if you were there on that Sunday and you had the roast timed, I, you know, maybe I should apologize, but probably not myself. My parents probably should apologize for that. But... Uh, that uh, impact, it impact into the life of the Machuda family, my grandparents. All the times I remember going to uh, North River Road out by the golf course uh, in what's just a field now, and memories that are piled up and impact into the lives of uh, my family. Aunts and uncles, weddings and funerals have been part of this church. My own self back in... Uh, the fall of 1973. You're like, hurry up, get on with it here. But uh, coming up here to Central Michigan University, living with grandpa and grandma, riding in my gremlin, my 1971 gremlin, metallic green, racing stripe, three on the floor with a nice cassette, or a nice eight track in the thing. And the whole stack, of, I don't know how I hung on to the eight tracks, but they're, they're, they were there and back and forth. And really, just to begun in those first few weeks, my plan, my life plan was I'm going to be a dentist. I'm going to come here, do the preparatory work, go on to dental school, be a dentist, have an easy life, enjoyable life, bring God along beside me. I wasn't here no more than two weeks or so and went home to see my girlfriend who was going off to Cedarville College at that point in time. And that was a month later, but on one of those weekends it was there, and we drove in the driveway, and sitting on the steps were a couple or three of my best friends from high school with looks on their face that said, "Mm." get out of that car and find out that a good friend had died the night before in a crash. And I can still remember being at the funeral, and it was as if God spoke to me, and 
And he didn't, I didn't hear verbal words, but, but in essence, standing there thinking, I, I cannot remember. And I, I've been a Christian all of my life as far back as I can remember to when I was six years old and, and accepted Christ in, in my mom and dad's bedroom. Could never remember sharing the gospel with him. Had no other expectation but that at some moment in time, and, and God saying to me, Steve, I don't want to go along beside you for a ride through a nice, easy life. And he called me into ministry kind of as a byproduct of that. Spent one half year here and then transferred to Grand Rapids Baptist College and then a lot of other history has unfolded. But this particular church has played a very real role uh, in my life. And I want to thank you for that impact. And uh, the message that I want to share with you this morning, if you take your Bible and turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1, is entitled Impact. And I want to encourage you to continue to be a congregation of impact, people of impact, individuals of of impact. I want to read uh, the verse, the twelfth verse of that chapter, First Peter chapter two, and verse twelve says these words, and this is from the English Standard Version: "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds." And glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, Join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to hear from God this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you this morning for this church in this community. And for its impact. Reaching all the way back to its founding back in 1886, the stone says. Uh, that continues to this day. Thank you, Father, for brothers and sisters in Christ that have gathered here this morning and for the impact of others into the lives of each of us. And, Father, we take seriously the reality of the impact that you have placed us in this moment of time as our lives unfold to impact those around us For Jesus Christ. Uh, May you be honored in these moments, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four things that stand out to me as I look at that particular verse. Uh, One is, uh, and maybe just allow me to list them. First, uh, Peter says, "I, I encourage you to maintain honorable conduct. Maintain honorable conduct. Second, expect to be slandered. And throughout the book of 1 Peter, uh, he reemphasizes that to them. Uh, third, dial in on good works. Your life should be full of them. And then fourth, uh, enjoy the fruit that God produces uh, as a result of that. If you notice just a sentence right in front of uh, uh, that verse that uh, is in front of us uh, this morning, uh, it reads this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Uh, 
Peter says, we're engaged in a war, and, and in that war, there is, it's a difficult thing, maintaining honorable conduct. It's hard. It is such a daily kind of thing. It's built upon small and numerous and continuous decisions that we make and act upon every day. Uh, There will be glitches in that as we live our lives. Uh, Peter says, maintain honorable conduct. Keep it honorable among the Gentiles. Uh, He's speaking to Christians and 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 he has in his sights the reality that that they are going through some rather difficult times. They are not liked in the culture in which they are living. Uh, They they are misunderstood. They they are being slandered. There there are things that are being said about them that just simply are not true. He says, "I, I, I want you to, in the midst of all that, maintain integrity of life. Over in chapter 3, and probably just across the page for you, uh, in verse 16, he reminds them that we're to have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior may be put to shame. They're going to have to make things up about you. Maintain that honorable behavior. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 8 of his second letter in verse 21, For we aim at what is honorable not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Want to be well spoken of and to give no opportunity for someone to point a finger at us and say, we are a mess. To the Philippians, he writes in chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I I want you to, to have such conduct that you stand out as you live your lives. To the elder Titus, Paul writes these words in terms of disencouraging him In his ministry, he says, Titus uh, urged the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Really the target in this first thought is, is to have a life that can be fully vetted. I don't like politics. I don't like elections. Uh, I, I've grown more cynical in life, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to step on anybody's foots with that. But they often vet candidates as they're getting ready. They're scouring the landscape to, to, to try and find out any dirt that's there. Both sides do that. The guy that's, the people that are in favor of this candidate, they're going to search the background. They're going to find out whatever's in there. Uh, the people that are against them are going to search their background and to find out what's there that, that uh, they can use as, as mud to throw at, in their face. I, I really think the target of our lives as we live our lives and uh, all of the encouragement of, of living lives well before God is, 
is so that uh, we can be vetted and found clean. We're suitable for office. Not that I'm encouraging you to run for office. It's not perfection. I appreciate Peter. Just, you know, just back up for a moment and, and think in terms of his life. Uh, you, you've got Peter who's, who's just out there in, in front. I mean, he's uh, tremendous stuff to say positively about him. He had some bad moments, though, as he went through life. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that, uh, that he can be used to, to say these words. I mean, there's the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and uh, the, the priest guards show up to arrest Jesus, and here's Peter who takes out his sword and he whacks off the ear of high priest's servant. Jesus is like, put that away. No, we're not going to do that. They're ready to take on that whole temple guard. Not thinking it through, probably. A few hours later, some, some maiden comes up to him. And, you know, they're, they're burning trash barrels out in, in the, uh, uh, the yard. And, and they're, they're, the, the trial of Jesus is going on. He says, you're one of them, aren't you? And, and he cowers and he, he breaks and he denies Jesus. Three times. That night he denies him. And you recognize, you know, it had, to, it had to hurt every one of those times. You know, it, it, it failing and, and, and knowing that it was wrong. He had said earlier, those words ringing in his ears, I'm sure. I don't care, I don't care who, I'm not going to. And Jesus says to him, listen, before the sun rises in the morning, you will have denied me three times. When that rooster finally crowed that that next morning, he wept bitterly. What a beautiful sight it is in John chapter 21. Jesus shows up for breakfast on the seashore and and restores Peter. Very clearly asking three times, Peter, do you love me? And at the end of it, Peter's wounds had been bound up and and he, he continues on and and he has a life that is honorable. I think it could be said of any of God's servants as we look into the word that, that there are those moments in their life that, that uh, are put on display in scripture for us to remind us that uh, an honorable life does not necessarily equal perfection. It can equal perfection. I love it that it says of Abraham that he was he's a, a man of faith, unwavering faith in Romans. And as I read through the story in the Old Testament, I'm thinking, good night, he's kind of waffling all over the place. It's like, here, let's, you know, let's do it this way, God, because you know, I, I'm old, and, and so let's try this plan. No, but let's try this plan. Uh, and, and God takes him out, he shows him the stars, and just incredible stuff. And he's, he's a father of faith for three religions in one sense. <clears throat> Looked at so highly. And yet God's assessment of him is that he was a man of unwavering faith. Thank you, God, for putting that in there. I don't know about you, but I know about myself that as I turn around and I look at my life, and as, as I walk through life, uh, there are too many times I come up and look at the guy in the mirror and go, oh, mm. And yet, you have an honorable life. 
David, a man after God's own heart. I love that. Because as I read the story of David, I'm going, an adulterer, a murderer, uh, arrogance. Uh, and, and yet, a, a man who falls on his knees before God, uh, who writes so much, and, and is this life, and he is a man of God. It is so very daily. Peter, as he writes this statement to us, and it, it reminds us that if we want to be people of impact, we have to walk what we talk. We, we, we are people that um, are magnetic. Sometimes you, don't, you could be in a situation where you don't know who's who and almost pick the Christians out by the way they behave, that it, that in a positive sense. Uh, people are drawn to you as a group of people. People are drawn to you as a family. People are drawn to you as, as a worker at your place of employment uh, because you are, are, are a person of integrity and in the way that you conduct your life. Christians are magnets. In fact, I really think, <clears throat> as we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we read through the pages of the Scripture, that that is so vitally important. You put us in a setting, and the setting is better because we're there. Now, sadly, that's not always true, is it? Our work environment should be better because we're there. Me at Mona Shores High School's transportation department, making an impact for the positive. People being drawn to me. Being drawn to you. Neighborhoods where, where people go, I love having them as our neighbors. Uh, they, they are such a blessing. Second thing, though, that he says here, and he says it several times in this short letter that he writes here, says, I want you to expect slander. Have you noticed that uh, the world does not like us? It doesn't, does it? Never has, never will. Now, it's not because we're obnoxious. Uh, and, and it is not um, because we are trying to stir things up. It's because we are like Jesus. It is because we are walking the walk. And, and they just, there are people today in this world who are dying for no other reason than they're Christians. You know, I, I was just thinking as um, you were talking a little bit earlier about where you're sending people to, uh, Ghana, and uh, you've got one that's over in Turkey right now, and, and just different places around this world. I mean, there are places where just being a Christian could get you killed. And that's happening. We, we're looked at in our own cultures being the problem. My youngest daughter is a social worker. graduated just a couple years ago with her master's from um, Grand Valley State University. And it was only a couple, three years ago, that first time I ever heard uh, the, the term LGBT. 
And I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? And she's hearing it all the time, you know. And she's and 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 this whole movement that's going on. And I and, and now I think, boy, you need a whole lot more letters than that, I think, to try and capture everything. But it it's there nonetheless. And I don't understand all the laws and things going on in places like Indiana and Arkansas and and, and some of those kinds of areas and. Uh, do I serve so-and-so or don't I serve so-and-so? And, and I think some of that we are off base on as Christians. Um, but we are the problem as Christians. We are intolerant. Because according to God's word, that's sin. It's wrong. Uh, and, and, and it's not that we're going on a crusade and seeking to attack and and to, to, to wipe that off, the, the, the face of the earth can't. And it shouldn't be our focus. Uh, but uh, there, there is that, that uh, perception that's out there. Or, or those people that come to church, probably not so much this day and age right now, but you know, during my ministry uh, period of time, uh, all you want is our money. You're just, you're just after our money. Well, no, no, we're not. In fact, most churches nowadays are, are, are reminding people as they come and visit, we don't want your money, don't give. Uh, we, that's a part of our worship, that we'll do that. Um, look at how messed up some of your people are. Well, they've always been messed up. Uh, there's, there's never any shortage of, of examples of that. We, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus, again, in his Sermon on the Mount, says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For that's how they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Of Moses, the writer of Hebrews, makes this statement. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to a reward. Uh, here again in, in Peter, First Peter chapter 4, verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Jesus spending moments, spending some time with the disciples before uh, the events of the crucifixion unfold in John chapter 15 and verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Expect slander. Don't encourage it. Don't seek it. Don't run from it. How many things do we had in life that we look back and go, I was wrongfully accused, or that was unfair, or that was not right, or they don't understand. And and there are a number of things that we can never fix. We're never going to straighten out. And, and I think that one of the things that Peter is trying to communicate in this letter as he writes it is, don't worry about straightening it out. You're going to get that. There is a day coming when it will get straightened out. And you know, that day that is coming when it will get straightened out is, is wonderful for us in a very practical way that we can just sometimes take things and put them on a shelf and say, I'll be taken care of later and just walk away from it. And not worry about it. Not allow it to come back. Every once in a while I talk with someone, you do as well, and sometimes it's our, our, our own selves, uh, that something will come up and they'll remember something 
uh, and the hurt and the pain of it is so very, very real. Uh, it's almost as if it had just been committed, and it's years later. I remember early in ministry talking to a young man. wasn't really that young, but that um, had, had sinned, was, was tossed from the church, I think probably in appropriate ways it was done. Uh, but there was a bitterness and, and there was this just reality and I think an application of scripture that wasn't quite right of, of um, literally he said he still remembered the day the pastor of that church was walking down the street toward him stopped, went across the street walked on by, on beyond and then came back across the street I thought wow but when I was talking to him that had to happen probably a good 15 years earlier than that. And it was still this gangrenous kind of pain in his life that uh, was being used as an excuse by him kind of continue to stay away. Not valid, but there it is. Third thing here, and I think this really is the whole shooting match. He says to us that we should dial in on good works. That they may see your good deeds. Jesus again in the Sermon on the Mount says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that when they see your good works... They give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, we, we are not talking here about good works as it pertains to our personal salvation. You know that. I know that. I want to be very clear about that. Uh, Paul was very clear about that. Now, one of the, the verses of Scripture that jumps into our minds as, as we think along those lines is Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse 8, it is, you know, it is not by works. It's grace. It's God's gift. That's our shooting. That's, that's how we were saved. Uh, there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved other than the name of Jesus. But I want to say this. Um, when it comes to the salvation of the people that are within the sphere of our influence, our good works toward them are very important. So we touch their lives, drawing them to us as we're pointing to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Drawing them to us so that they are asking the question, what is it about you that's different? And we point and go, it's Jesus. Um, There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. So I was leaving um, Spring Lake area this morning and driving across toward Grand Rapids. I've seen this this, uh, billboard before. Uh, and there it was, boom, you know, right up in, right up in front of me. Um, if you die tonight, one side, heaven, question mark, other side, hell, question mark. And then an 800 number. 
I want to be careful. I don't want necessarily want to, I don't know who's behind the number. I mean, they could call and it could be a cult of some kind for all I know. Maybe someone here knows um, about that more than I do. But that's a good question. That's a heavily trafficked area. I mean, a lot of people drive back and forth there every day. And especially when it comes to summertime. It's a good question. But our, our, our good works, are, are extre- uh, they are so important when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. James McDonald said, and I remember hearing him say it at Moody several years ago, uh, in terms of the growth of, of their ministries, so it's really our, our, our strategy is simply this. We look for people that are underneath of rocks, and we go and lift the rocks off and help them up. I, I mean, I, that's, that's what they were about. I thought, you know, that, that really is what Jesus displayed for us. I mean, which writer of uh, the Gospels made the statement, uh, he went about everywhere doing good. Went about everywhere doing good. He's preaching and teaching. Frank St. Francis of Assisi is credited with the statement, and I paraphrase, I don't know if I've got it exact. It says, uh, you know, preach the gospel always. And if you have to use words, go ahead. Now, I don't want to diminish the words. In fact, you'll, you'd see it right here uh, in the text. It's right in front of us. And you just look over uh, the page to chapter 3 and uh, verse 15. In fact, I'll read this out of the uh, New Living Translation. Uh, as, as he's talking at the end of kind of a climactic section where he's going, uh, you know, talking to our relationship within the government in which we live and, and slaves and wives and husbands and then this whole section uh, just related to all Christians beginning in verse 8. But we get down to verse 15. He says, Uh, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. We need to be able to communicate the gospel. Uh, We need to be able to share it in a a very natural way as, as people intersect our lives, whether it's in the neighborhood or it's at work, or wherever it is, it might be in a program that as a congregation that you are part of, uh, whether Awana or VBS is coming up, or, or all that, that unfolds in our lives, Peter says, I want you to always be ready to communicate clearly what it is that makes you different. What it is that they have found attractive. What, what it is that's drawing on them. That, uh, they, you know, they look at you at work and going, everybody else is kind of this and then you're that. Or they're watching our lives and you're going through this and this just happened to your family. Uh, and and it, I think how tragic and, and yet you seem good in the midst of it. How can you do that? Well, it's because of Jesus. What he did at Calvary. Uh, it's, it's because I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. He provided it. Uh, that is, you know, one of the dominant things that we see as we, as we look at Jesus' life. In fact, the last statement that John records in his gospel is this. He says, 
Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. As I, I just want you to know, I, I've been very selective. And, and as you study John, you find that out. I mean, he's very selective. I mean, John has written, uh, it's, it's one of those books that if I'm working with someone who is brand new to the whole idea of Christianity, I'll say to him, you know what, read the Gospel of John. Just read through that. Because I think John wrote it in essence, kind of as, you know, these are written in the chapter before that, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so why I'm writing it. So we have this very well-written Simple, you know, in, in Greek class way back a long, many decades ago, uh, we went to John's writing, uh, and the professor said, we do that because John writes kind of the, the simplest Greek to be found uh, in the New Testament. And that's not true of Peter, necessarily, or even of Paul, but John's is very simple, so we go there. But his point is, I want people to understand about Jesus. I, I, I want them to, to know that he did and he, he provided salvation for us. But as, as we watch his life unfold, he's healing. He's releasing. He's touching. You know, there, he comes to lepers and touches them. And that day they were just, they had all these laws to stay away from them. Kind of reminded me of the Ebola thing we went through a year ago. We were just scared to death. Um, you know, terrified. It's one of our weaknesses as a culture. We are, we are so susceptible to, to, to fear. And un, ir, irrational fear so many times. That's one of the things that Facebook does for me. I don't spend a lot of time there. But uh, as I see some of the things being posted, I'm going, it's irrational. That's, that's just wrong. That's fear. And I really think that uh, as we look at verse 12, he, he just says, you know, enjoy the fruit that's produced in all of this. They may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, because we live that way. Peter says um, to us, they're going to be drawn to a spot where they'll give glory to God. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, they're going to be drawn to a spot where they give glory to God. And it's going to have a lot to do with how you have brought them there as you have followed me and as you have touched their lives. Paul writes to the Corinthians, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 13. Peter says to the Thessalonians, you know, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? 
Because what, you know, what, what is going to really put a smile on my face, Paul, as I stand before Jesus Christ someday? And he says, it's this. It is you. It is you. It's the fact that you're present. You are our glory and our joy. What a cool thing. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 24, after having confronted Peter on a very important matter uh, and, and making sure that the church didn't steer itself in the direction of you have to do some, some things in order to be saved, Stay away from that and understand that it is by grace. It's a gift. Uh, Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 24, they glorified God because of me. We need to be people of impact. As we live our lives today and tomorrow and the routines that are there and some of the things that might be looked at as being mundane, that are so repetitive. Uh, as our lives unfold this week with things that we have no clue right now are going to transpire. And maybe it's going to be a major interruption. Or it might be a minor sidetrack. Uh, that, that we are to be people who live our lives with our, our heads up as we're doing our stuff in life. Always looking for the opportunity to respond and to do good in the lives of other people around us. Here, let me help you with that load. Uh, can I come and do this for you? You know, just being sent, just looking. Our radars are, are working, and, and, and as those things come, and, and God will touch us. He's not going to overwhelm us, but God's going to touch us with, do this. And we do it. And I don't know what it is, but... As we do it, uh, the impact is, well, thank you. Wow, it's so helpful. Ah, you've eased my burden. Or this is just sheer joy. That uh, we are people of impact. Don't allow the enemy to sidetrack you. Don't get mired down in the wrong battlefield. Do not let passions park you. Want to be people of impact.